0: Good morning, grace and peace. Good to be with you all this morning. Austin is the greatest city in the world. If I could live anywhere in the world, I would live in Austin, unquestionably. You don't know this. This is my first time to visit you. But I have, um, I have recommended your church to many people moving to Austin. Uh, I have a friend from Knoxville that's here uh, that's come because we, I said where, he said, where would you go to church? I would go check out. Grace and peace. Uh, In many ways, what you're doing, your embodiment, who you are, your sense of mission in this part of Central Austin, it really matches in a lot of ways what the original core group of Redeemer wanted to be about. So I was the planter of Redeemer, which then planted several churches, one of which was All Saints, which has planted you. So I'm like a grandfather coming to visit. Uh, I've got one granddaughter and one on the way, so I love seeing my grandchildren So it is really fun being with you in that kind of role as a grandfather. And one thing grandfathers do is they tell kind of funny stories. And so I'm going to start with a little bit of a story. It's an odd one, but it is that of a Russian peasant. And he's farming out in his field alone. He's digging up the ground, trying to get the ground ready to plant later in the year. And as he's digging, he digs up this rock, but it's not a rock. It's an old clay pot. and he takes it out of the ground and he sort of brushes the dirt off of it a little bit to take a look at it. And as he does, a genie pops out of this pot and says, I'm here, I'm a genie, I will grant you one wish, whatever you wish, you can have it. And you know, now you say, one wish, why one? Well, they're Russians, they're poor, okay? But it's one wish, whatever you want, one condition, however. Whatever I give to you, I will give twice as much to your neighbor. And the peasant thinks, and he thinks, and he thinks, and he says, I know what I want my wish to be. And the genie says, what? He says, I want you to gouge out one of my eyes. That's envy. That is the hideousness and ugliness of envy, and we all suffer from it to a degree, and we all desperately need God's word of grace for us in our envy. And Psalm 73 is the place that we find it. Let's give attention as Britain reads the word. Why don't we stand as we hear God's word read to us? Psalm 73.
1: Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fail to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord.
0: You may be seated. So all of us struggle with envy, some, and some of us struggle with envy a lot. It's in the air that we breathe. You know, sociologists tell us that we are the richest society that's ever been in existence here living in North America in this space. Um, We have more disposable income. We have more time uh, to deal with as we want. We have more freedoms. And we are among the most miserable people ever measured in terms of our sense of peace and happiness. We are full of self-pity, and self-pity is what leads to envy. Envy is not just wanting what my neighbor has, but being desperately sad because of it. It is... This sense that life is miserable because my life does not measure up well to my neighbor. It is comparison that is twisted by sadness and brokenness inside of us that leaves us with this sense that life is miserable when we compare our lives to others. Everyone struggles with this. If you've got a Bible there and you read it from your Bible, you probably saw this is a Psalm of Asaph. Asaph one of the leaders. He's like Mac. He's sort of the worship leader, but not for a local congregation, like for all of Israel, for their temple worship and for all their things. He's sort of the head of worship for all the churches that existed at that time. And he is saying, I wrestle with envy. Envy is, is a sickness the way early Christians talked about it. When the list of deadly sins came out, it, it was very near the top, both in the western and eastern churches very early on, and there were colors associated with the deadly sins, and the color associated with envy was always yellow or green to kind of picture a a, a sick countenance, a sick skin color, kind of like a jaundice of the soul. That's what envy is and what it does to us. The way Asaph describes it is, here I am, worship leader in Israel, I believe in the goodness of the Lord. He starts out with this beautiful expression of who God is and the joy of having a singleness of heart and mind to trust God. And then he says, but, but then I became envious of the wicked. And he begins to describe what that is life. We'll unpack that in just a moment. But then he gets down, you know, to the middle of the psalm and he says, God, is any of this worth it? You know, he sort of says, Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. In vain I've kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, in effect, my faith really isn't worth anything to me in light of my envy. It's a desperate problem for us. And we have it just as bad or worse than Asaph does, and if a worship leader in all of Israel has it you 're going to have it too and if you 're like me it 's going to crop up all the time i 've been studying this passage all week, meditating on it, getting ready to come out here to be with you. My wife Fran, and i we 're starting our journey out here to be with our daughter Duggan this weekend and then help her move out to california we 're going to take a driving trip like Chevy Chase in vacation, except we don 't have a dog to tinkle on the sandwiches and grandma isn't coming, so we don't, she won't die on the way. That'll be good. But that's our little journey coming up ahead for us, the the, the family vacation, driving to LA. But we started in the airport in Atlanta flying out here, and, and we're waiting for our flight, and we sit next to a woman and, and her two little sons, and we start talking with them. And she, you know, she's got like five and seven year old kids there, and she says, yeah, we, we live in Houston, and and I made a joke about people in Austin. You know, we're going to Austin. And people in Austin look down on people in Houston. That didn't go over very well at all. She didn't like that very much. Didn't take it at all. Uh, and, then, and then she said, yeah, my husband and I, we're picking up our kids from camp. And we've just spent two weeks in Portugal. And I started grinding my teeth. Like, why did they get to go to Portugal? Why did they? You know, I want to go to Portugal. I'm going to go drive through the Mojave Desert. I want to go to Portugal instead. So we're there, and and my wife and I are talking about it, and she says, Paul, isn't this what you're preaching on on Sunday? I go, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All the time, it's there. It's this problem of envy, and it's a deadly sin. It's serious. It can lead us to a space where our soul gets so jaundiced and ill. We wonder, Is our faith even worth it? No matter how long you've been in the game, if you're a person like Asaph, you're way inside. It can come and sicken you badly. But the problem is a really a bit trickier than we think it is. It's more complex than we think it is because there are evidences to support your envy, right? Asaph's envy particularly, he says, I've envied the wicked, verse 2, but just for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious Of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, it's a special kind of envy Asaph is dealing with. And that is a people, you know, the sort of the Old Testament word, the wicked, just means those apart from God. It's not that they're more sinful than we are necessarily, it's that they're the ones living apart from God and His grace. And and Asaph says, God, I look at them and their lives look better than ours. They eat what they want, but their bodies are healthy. They um, they have wealth, and we so often don't. We are afflicted, but they flourish. You, you can kind of miss this in the English. It shows up in verse 3 and verse 12. He says the prosperity of the wicked. Underneath that in the Hebrew is shalom. That's the... That's the special word that God says is only for my people. Only those who trust in me have shalom. My peace, my blessing, my flourishing hand is on your life. That's what shalom is. Again, in verse 12, um, he says, Behold, these are the wicked. They are always at ease. They increase in riches. Underneath that at ease in English is shalom again. That is almost blasphemous talk for a worship leader in Israel to use. Because the wicked were never supposed to have shalom. The prophets were constantly saying, the wicked, they don't have shalom. The people who are not connected to God and his mercies, those who don't follow God, they don't have shalom. We do as his people. But Asaph says, God, it looks like they're the ones with shalom and not us. Do you ever do that? You ever stop and say god i've been here i'm trusting you i'm following you i'm washing my hands seeking forgiveness and mercy afresh i'm diligently trying to follow you even in the middle of affliction and those people who are outside of a relationship with you outside of your church who are foreigners to these concepts they're the ones getting all the blessings where are you god See, what does Asaph say when he starts making those kind of comparisons? My faith is in vain, and I'm giving up trying to give my, your cup, God, really, of blessings to them. I want to drink their cup of blessings. The whole goal of walking with Jesus, the whole goal of being God's people is to live in mission. Why are you here? Why are you worshiping in a junior high school cafeteria on the first Sunday in August without AC because you have a sense that there's something here that you prize above all else and you want to be God's people here gathered to share his mission with this part, his love and his mercy and his kindness and his justice with this part of Central Austin. But what envy starts making you think is, ah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. where does the healing begin to come? For Asaph and for us, it can begin to come in two ways. What what does he say? He says, verse 15, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. The surprise of healing in this psalm is it starts for Asaph when he realizes, if I keep living with a heart of envy if I keep allowing envy to go unchecked in my life, if I keep living this kind of diseased sub-existence with God, the first great problem of it is, I'm going to lead others into that kind of life too, and I can't. It's an awareness of community around him, of people who are inside the covenant with him, uh, who he says, I've got a responsibility to show them better way you know there was an old ad uh, uh, that ran when i was a kid and it, it was trying to make an impression on an adult but it made an impression on me as a kid you can look this one up i googled it and found it it's proof you can find anything on google it was on youtube it's a 1967 public service announcement against smoking okay when smoking is the rage of the culture, I'm five years old at the time, and I can vividly remember this commercial showing, and it was a dad and his son walking through a day together, and they kept showing like this dad gets up in the morning and makes his coffee, and so the little boy pretends to make coffee and sits down at the table with his dad. They go outside, and, and they begin to clean up in the yard, and the dad is cleaning up, and the little boy is falling after him, and after every one of these scenes, the public service announcer says, like father, like son, like father, like son. They get in a convertible together. Of course, no seat belts, no car seats, right? Uh, the good old days, right? And, and the dad's driving like this. The kid's sitting in the back, unbuckled, flopping around back there. But he's got his little toy steering wheel. They say, like father, like son. They get down and they stop by a little river. And they walk down to the river. The dad skips a stone into the river. And the little boy tries to skip his stone across. Like father, like son. And then it ends It ends with them both sitting under a tree, and the dad is kind of kicking back, smoking a cigarette, just lazily watching out there, and the little boy is trying to open the pack of cigarettes and get his out, and then they say, like, father, like, son? Like, it was supposed to cut dads to the heart. In a culture where everybody smoked, to say, "Is this really what you want to give your children? Like, do you want to give them this life? Do you want to keep feeding them a world of secondhand smoke and make them firsthand smokers themselves? Like, is this really what you want to do for them?" It stuck with me for like fifty years. I can I'm quoting all of that to you. Right. This is what Asaph is saying. He's saying. You, the people in your world, not just your own children, but the people who are watching you, the others in the community around you, the people who are looking up to you, you've got to give them something better than an envious way of life where you're being eating alive, where you're doubting your own faith and its veracity, where you are just stuck in your sense of mission because... Envy is eating you alive. You don't want to give others that. And Asaph is cut to the quick. I, I can't do that. It's repentance in light of community. You know, I, I, kind of my life is flying all over the country helping new churches get started. And, and I was out on a trip to Seattle and I talked to this flight attendant. He was a male flight attendant his wife flew for Delta. He was a flight attendant for Delta. And we was talking this whole, you know, five, six hour trip out to Seattle together from Atlanta. And we just kind of made this little friendship and, and we finished and I was getting ready to walk out. And I was just saying, well, he was telling me he's got a day off tomorrow. His wife had a day off tomorrow. I said, man, y'all have a great day. He goes, he goes, he goes, what are you doing here? Well, I said, I'm, I'm going to, to kind of meet with some people and it's going to be a hard meeting. And, And um, I'm not looking forward to that. And he said, really, that must be hard for you because you're a really nice guy. And I said, well, why are you saying that? Because I'm really not a nice guy. He said, no, 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 you are. I watched you in Chick-fil-A before we got on the plane. I said, well, what do you mean? You saw my large cloak and extra large fries? You know, no, no, I watched you be kind to everybody in line. You let people go ahead of you. You were kind to the people at the counter. You were kind when you picked up your food. When they didn't get your order right, you actually were kind to them. And I'm like thinking, God, thank you because that ain't me. Like that's not normal. I'm dying to just get my food and stuff it in my mouth. People are constantly watching us. And it is our privilege to live in light of the community around us. And so repentance begins, healing begins when we have this sense, I can't give away envy as when I'm feeding those around me. But the healing gets deeper, right? It gets deeper for Asaph and for us. The break in the psalm there in verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it all seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned. The heart of healing for Asaph is being in worship with the living God. I'm a lot like your new staff person. I'm in awe that you're here today with the weather like this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for encouraging me with your presence, being a community I need around me. But what you get when you're here that you can get really nowhere else is the wonder that the living God loves you so much He gave His only Son to come in human flesh while still remaining God, fully man as well as fully God-like us in every way except for He is without sin so He can die in our place for our sin and bear the just punishment of God, do all the sins of a world of people for all time. It's here when you hear this again, when you read about it, when you see it in each other's faces, when we hear each other singing it, when we actually get to eat and drink it and touch it and smell it, that the gospel comes alive to us again. And our lives now have a sense of hope and purpose. And we have a sense that we are so Full of God and His love and His goodness, that we don't need to try to grab what's in the hands of somebody else. Envy functions like a defensive back rather than a wide receiver. What do wide receivers want to do? Catch passes. Of blessing that are thrown to them. What's the defensive back want to do? Swat the ball out of their hands or pick it up and run the other way. When we're envious, we're watching things that other people have that are being thrown to them, and we want to swat them away and bat them down or pick them off and carry them the other way. But when we come to worship, we realize we're not really like wide receivers. We're really like the third string tied in, the guy that's number 67 that really has a tackle's jersey on. But we can stumble across the line, and Jesus says, you're eligible, and he throws it into our hands so softly and beautifully that even we can catch it and clutch it and hold it his mercy and his love. And we get touchdowns of His grace. That's why worship is so crucial. Pastors don't say this to you to make you beat up or to make you give money every Sunday. It's just, this is where you can know the love of God that heals your envy. As the psalmist says here, Whom have I in heaven but thee? I have nothing I desire besides thee. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are my portion my blessing forever now when you come out of worship and the healing comes in fresh ways to us week after week, we need it like Asim needed it, you need it like I need it what happens? It's We get reoriented to all of life I, I used to hate this time of year I'd start to get antsy in kind of the middle of August because it meant school was coming back I hated that. I love summer. I still love summer. This is my favorite time of year. Doesn't matter how hot it is, I love it. Love it. Grew up in Florida so I can handle it. Okay? I love it. Um, but I hated that word orientation. Oh, mom, we got to go to orientation. We got to get ready for the year ahead. This is blessed orientation. Reorientation. Not for school but to live in the blessings and joys of Jesus. And you get reoriented when you move out of worship toward the wicked, toward the people who are without God and hope in the world. You see, they're the ones who have a fleeting life, not you. They're the ones who have a purposeless life, ultimately, no matter how hard they fill it with activity or success or achievement or relationships. When we don't have that god center. We have nothing really anchoring us and filling us. And so you see that you, instead of living with self-pity that makes you want to swat things out of their hands, you have pity for them and want to give to them what you have filling up your hands. God's mercy, God's love, God's goodness in Jesus. And there's always enough there in your hands to give away and still have enough and more for yourself. You get reoriented toward yourself. Asaph says, when I thought this way, I was foolish. I was like a brute beast. I love what one writer says coming on this psalm. He moves from pity me to stupid me. (laughs) And now he says, I become wise me. Out of worship, coming out of the sense of community in worship, we realize afresh we have everything God has blessed us with Himself. So no matter what the afflictions are and the hardships are, no matter how many spaces you walk into that have these kinds of challenges multiplied of heat you didn't expect, God is there giving you Himself. And in your trials, you uniquely can experience God in ways you cannot elsewhere. You get reoriented to others You get reoriented to yourself. And you get reoriented toward God. He's given me everything. He's given me himself. I can trust him. I can walk with him. I can share that hope with the world around me. Just a leaving thought. Started you with a story. Leave you with a little story. We're going to take this road trip starting this afternoon we're kind of bolting out of here to head towards west texas on this journey to la i pray that we make it uh pray that we make it i've been known to to curse louder than the dad on christmas uh on uh the christmas story when a flat tire comes so pray that doesn't happen uh but um but on another trip we took when duggan was a little girl when mary fran our oldest was a little girl We were driving down to my parents' house from Alabama down to Florida and we were coming back and we were making our way back to Auburn, Alabama through these small towns of Georgia and we came around the corner and there we were on Main Street of Plains, Georgia. And we turned the corner on the Main Street of Plains, Georgia and we have this massive blowout. The tire doesn't just go flat, it blows out the kind where the car starts to skid. So I've Everybody's asleep. I kind of wrestle the car into the skid, wrestle it over the side. Francis, Paul, what happened? What's going on here? I said, honey, we just had a blowout. We're, we're okay. She says, okay. I look around at the girls. Daddy, daddy, what happened? It's okay. We're, we're good girls. Okay, daddy, it's good. So we pull the car over. I'm unbuckling my seatbelt. I'm getting out. I'm starting the mumbling, cursing, you know, on my way back to, to change the tire. And before I can even get out of the car, there are four Georgia Highway Patrol state troopers standing at the back of my car. And they said, sir, it looks like you had a flat tire. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, sir, could we change your tire for you? I-, I didn't know. Georgia Highway Patrol offered this service. Absolutely. Please. So we opened my truck. I don't know if they were looking for a dead man in the back or something. We opened my truck. Uh, and we get the spare out. The spare's flat and they said sir could we pump up your spare tire for you up in the little barn we have up this up just up the hill here sure that would be great two of them take the tire up to the barn bring it back in like 3 minutes 3 minutes later the tire is changed it's like nascar on main street of plains georgia and then it hits me i'm slow But then it hits me as I get back in the car because I see the sign just up. This is the home of President Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. We have skidded to a halt right in front of the Carter's house, and they do not want riffraff like us (laughs) in front of President Carter's house and peanut farm. What your Father in heaven is saying to you today as his people is wherever the breakdowns in your life come, the skids, the halts, I have even orchestrated those to bring you back to a deeper sense of my love. And I don't want to just change the tire and get you on your way. I want to welcome you and have you come in. I want you to eat supper with Rosalind and me, in effect. And I want to show you all of my blessings. I want to feed you with my love. And then I'm going to send you back on your journey till you come to stay here with me forever. May we not envy the wicked. May we love the wicked because the riches of God, the height and depth, the breadth and the width of God's love shaped in the way of the cross is given to us in Christ Jesus. Let us revel in that. Let us feast on that and celebrate that love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus that really can heal our envy. Asaph needed it. Father, we need it. Father, I pray for any here today who this may all be new to, the whole idea of being filled up with God, the whole idea of finding saving mercies in a God who would give himself for us. I pray that you would, touch into the lives of these whoever they may be and bring them to yourself or, or back to yourself if they've wandered far from you Lord for those of us walking with you weakly, feebly, maybe crawling at times maybe stopping along the way because we don't think we can go any further would you feed us on your love today to strengthen us to heal our envy and to help us love the wicked to love those around us, to really see their needs rather than craving their lives because we have all we need in you. And if we have you, we truly need nothing else. Please, Lord, fill us now on this. Even as we've heard of it, may we taste it and see it. May we eat it and drink it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.